sinners and Christ died for us. We're redeemed. Paul told the church in Galatians that, that, that you are adopted into the family of Christ. So no matter what your last name is, when Christ is done with you in the means of salvation, you now have his name because he has the greatest name of all time. He has the name that is above all names. He has the name that one day every knee will bow to. He has the name that one day every tongue will confess. And he's given you that name too. Amen? Well, that should have. Y'all should. Woo. I was, I was thinking there was going to be more. I'm just, I'm just, when we think about what Christ has done for us, in us, through us, and what he's done for us, and what he wants to do in us, because here's the greatest fear I have as a pastor. I'm just sharing my heart with you this morning. We're going to get to heaven one day, and, and God's going to look at us and say, you are the most intelligent generation that I created. You had more technology than any generation before you. You had platforms that the revivalists of old could only dream about. You have books. You have professors. You have education. And you did nothing with it. The church today has more money. The church today has more resources. The church today has, has more education than it's ever had. And we're not doing anything with it. Somewhere along the line, we forgot to live out our faith. Somewhere along the line, we forgot to be bold in what Christ has done in us, through us, and for us. Most of us have blended in with the world so much that there's, there's very little separation. I had an old evangelist, he was preaching at our church one time, and, and he posed this. He said, is there enough evidence in your life that you belong to Christ, that a jury of your peers would find you guilty of being a believer. Not words, not hearsay, not the, the stuff you talk, but is there evidence in how you live that would find you guilty? If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of James. It's a small book, kind of in the back of your Bible, if you're new to the faith. If you hit the Revelation, you went a little too far, and if you found the map, she went real far. Just back it up a little bit, and you'll find James is tucked in right after the book of Hebrews. So James chapter 1, James is, is spending the first half of chapter 1. He's telling the church about the fact that you're going to have trials and tribulations. You're going to have hard times in your life. You're going to have things that come up in your life that you're not ready for. But he's telling them to consider trials and tribulations, consider hard days, joy. Joy. You ever had a hard day and thought, well, that was just glorious? You ever had a hard day and just, woo, praise Jesus, that bill came? Woo! Praise Jesus, that phone call came? Pray, no, we, that's not how we typically respond to devastating news. We don't normally take a lap. We don't normally, we don't normally engage it with much excitement. In fact, when we hear hard things, it normally devastates and cripples us. And then we all start asking the age-old question, you know, why? Why me, Lord? How come this had to happen to me? And he, so James is setting a foundation in, in the first 18 verses of, of, of getting ready for trials, getting ready for tribulation. Get ready because life is going to get hard. Get ready because life is difficult. I, I, I love what my, my brother Steve said this morning. I woke up this morning and Satan told me, don't go. 
he, he was fighting with you. He probably told the story of almost everybody in the room. You woke up, you had to get the kids ready, and as soon as you get one shoe on, they kick the other one off, and, and you're getting ready. And man, Satan will give you 13 reasons not to be here. The golf match is on early because they're in a different country. I mean, you could have, but the, I heard the fish were biting. If you played golf today, you'd be three under. A lot of great excuses of why you shouldn't be here today. But when you love Christ and Christ has redeemed you, you don't forsake the gathering. You don't look past church. You come excitedly to church. You come expectingly to church. You come ready to meet Jesus. So he gets, he gets through verse 18, and, and he's going to start preparing us. One of the greatest historical events of our day happened on June 6, several years ago. On June 6, several years ago, we found ourselves in the middle of a war. The war was treacherous, and we lost a lot of men in that war. But on June 6, we decided we were taking that beach in Normandy. And on June 6, those, the, the, the crafts that were taking the soldiers to the beach, they were in gear, they were loaded. These men were washing up on the waves there in Normandy at the beach, and they could look out. They saw what was happening. They saw that their brothers were, were being slain. They saw that the machine gun from the mountain had them. They were pinned down. They're in these boats, and they're floating, and the bullets are zinging over their head. And they didn't look around. They didn't call a chaplain. They didn't do any of that. The boat kept floating, and as, as the lid on that thing hit the ocean floor, and it was time for them to go, they went fearlessly, knowing it could be it. Knowing, looking out, they saw the evidence that if I go off this boat, it's probably going to be my life, but they didn't stop. They looked at the danger, they saw all that it was, but their preparation, what they had prepared for, what they had trained for, what they had been about, all they had been advancing through, prepared them for the moment that when, when the tongue on that thing fell, they went into the water guns blazing because they knew they had to win the beach. The, the Battle of Normandy was one of the greatest military advancements of our, of our whole history, and it showed the bravery of those men that were willing to lay down their lives. They didn't wake up with that, that knowledge and bravery. They didn't just, on the boat ride, say, no matter what comes at me, we're going to win. They were prepared so that when they looked and they saw devastation, it didn't faze them. When they looked and saw tragedy ahead, they looked and they saw the, the blood of their friends being poured out as they were being slain on the beach, they didn't yield. What James has called the church to be about is readiness. What James has called the believer to be about is preparation. So that when tragedy strikes, either when you see it coming or you don't, you're prepared because Christ has done a work in you. There's a great preacher who told us a long time ago, he, he said that, that tragedy and grief are the medications of God's grace. Tragedy and grief are the medications of God's grace. See, you only experience the grace of God, and the good news of, of the gospel is only good when it invades dark spaces. If, if you had no reality of your sin and you had no 
reality of eternal state separated from God, then the good news wouldn't be that good. But when you see your depravity versus God's holiness and you see how awful you are, but yet Christ is calling you to be a new creation and you see all that, man, God's grace is so wonderful. It's amazing grace. It makes the blind see and it it makes the dead come to life. So we pick up in verse 19. In verse 19, James starts off and he tells him, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and all rampant wickedness and receive the meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror but he looks at himself and he goes away and he, and he once forgets what he looks like but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and preserves being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father. It's this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word today. Father, we pray that you would show us what it means to live boldly in our faith, to have a backbone about Christ, to have morals and integrity, and to be people that are called today. May we, may we display outwardly what Christ has done inwardly, and may we show the world the love of Christ. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The, the brother of Jesus, James, knew all too well about affliction and pain. He watched his brother die on a cross. He looked at his, the, the eyes of his mother who is weeping. And, and so he knew, what, he knew what it cost. He knew about discipleship. He knew about what it took to follow Jesus. He was there when Christ resurrected. And now all of a sudden, and I really think, I really think James struggled most of the life of Christ. Because if you have a sibling... And they told you, I'm God. Come on. All the while, I really think John struggled with who Jesus, or all the while I think James struggled with who Jesus was and claimed to be. And really, even though he saw the miracles and he saw Lazarus come out of the grave and he saw all of these things, I think James struggled with his faith in Christ until the resurrection. I really do. When you, when you read his affliction and his pain and, and kind of his progression of faith, I, 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 would, I would really think he at least had a, on some level some doubt about Christ. But he knew all too well that affliction and pain were there for the believer, that, that we weren't, God's not going to save you and you're never going to have a bad day. And yet that's the lie so many people are telling. That, and I've heard this. I've heard people say, you know, if you just go to church, your life would be better. I tell people, no, don't do that. Oh, you start coming, you get on fire for Jesus, you're under attack, my friend. You start doing something for the kingdom, you're Satan's target. Because as long as you're, you're a pew sitter, 
And you never apply anything we read about. You never apply anything you hear from a pulpit. You never intently, purposefully grow in the Lord. Hey, Satan's hands off. You may have a bad day every now and then. But when you get purposeful about being bold in your faith, you're going, it's going to get difficult. Look at the disciples and the apostles. They all died. They all, no, I'm going to show They all died. We know being a believer may cost you your life, but there's nothing else worth dying over. The call for discipleship is great. James wants us to know that we're made for more as we live bold. We start by, by thinking bold Christianity infiltrates every part of our life. If you're going to be bold for Christ, this message of the gospel must infiltrate to every part of your life, not just Sunday. You can't be a Sunday Christian or this thing that we've created called nominal Christianity or marginal Christianity. You can't just come to church and think you're going to live this wonderful life for Christ. The call for discipleship is that you die daily. You die daily. Not you come to church on Sunday. The Bible didn't say that. It says you wake up every day and you die to yourself so that Christ may reign. You have to give of yourself. Salvation is submission to the authority of Christ. You can't somehow remain saved and still have control. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's impossible. You can't have two captains of the same boat. Because the one you feed the most will win. And if we let ourselves choose, we pick us every time. You picking up what I'm putting down? If you let yourself choose who gets to drive the boat, you'll pick you every time. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I must die daily so that Christ can be king. He uses this word. James, James comes up and he says, knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. My granddaddy always told me, you've got two ears, one mouth, you should listen a lot more than you talk. And then God called me into ministry, and I was like, ha ha! Anyway. <laughs> For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. He says, therefore put away the filthiness, the rampant wickedness, and receive the meekness implanted in the word. That word implanted comes from the Greek word emphutos. I love that. This, this engraftedness, this, this word that, that gets in you and it's there forever. This idea that, that God's placed something in you. The word of God, this meekness and this humbleness that only comes from the spirit. You don't just wake up one morning and go, I'm humble. Like If you're telling people about your humbleness, you're probably not very humble. Right? That's kind of the, the opposite. This word infutas is unique because what it's saying is that God's going to use his word and he's going to implant it in you so that when you're there and you're having a gospel-centered conversation with somebody, you're going to quote a verse of scripture you didn't even know you knew. You didn't even know you knew it. It just came up. Y'all ever had that happen? No, all right, well, y'all need to share your faith more. Now, I've, I've been sitting there talking with folks, and I, I quote, I'll, quote script, I'll quote the whole thing. That I'll quote chapter, verse, and I'm like, and they're like, you have a lot of them. I'm like, I didn't know I had that verse memorized. I didn't even know. I didn't, that even, did, I didn't know that was in the inventory. This engrafted, this, this part where, where God's going to soak your life in Scripture, that doesn't happen through osmosis. 
Can I say that? That doesn't happen. Like, if you take a nap on your Bible today at lunchtime, you're not going to wake up knowing more of the Bible than you did when you took a nap before. We don't accidentally grow in our faith. We don't accidentally grow in our knowledge of the Lord. We don't accidentally fall into a deeper relationship with Christ. That's not how this thing works. We get the meekness and we get the, the humbleness when we, when we implant the Word of God into our souls. When you plant the Word of God into your souls, and I'm not talking about some Facebook meme, I'm talking about when you intentionally dig into the Word of God. You allow that Word to be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Do you know if you start a Bible reading regimen and you do it for 21 days, they say after 21 days, that thing you've started will become a habit and you will start doing it vicariously and naturally. That's for anything in life. So if, you, if, you're, if you're like me and you're like, hey, we probably need to get this weight under control, 21 days. 21 days is all it would take and you have a habit form now. You've created muscle memory memory and you're effective if you would get up and read your bible for 10 minutes for 21 days it would become natural it would be a habit it would be something that you would do and you begin to begin to soak in that scripture it would be like a steak in which you've marinated it is soaked in all of that in which god has intended for it and you will start seeing you live out the gospel so much easier you can't live out a gospel that you don't know you can't get to somewhere you ain't got directions to. He says, bold Christianity must infiltrate every part of our life, not just Sundays. You can be a super Christian on Monday, but if you live like a pagan on Tuesday, you've done nothing. The people don't need to see you posting religious quotes on the weekend and, and hear you dog cuss in the break room on Monday. You're not doing anything to promote the gospel of Christ. In fact, you're living contrary to that we, we must allow the word of god to to be everything in who we are what james is going after and what he wants us to see is what paul said in galatians 2 20 he says for i've been crucified with christ and it's no longer i who lives but it's christ that lives in me and the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god i've been crucified with christ everything about jeff is gone and this takes daily. Like, this isn't something I did back in March of 2000, and it's still, I wake up every day battling the flesh. I wake up every day wanting to be God. I wake up every day desiring to be in control. That's why I love that the psalmist wrote, for the mercies of the Lord are, are renewable every morning, every day. God's mercy is new in my life. I love that, that I get to get up and surrender myself again. Get, and I've even heard, I get saved every morning. I heard a guy say that one time. And I, I said, well, you a fool. What do you mean you get saved every morning? I was doubting his wording. And he got saved one time. That first time was good for all. But he, he said, I wake up every morning and renew my commitment before the Lord. Because I know if I don't, if I don't, if I don't go out to the Lord and charge, you got the reins, I'm following you. If I don't do that, then I'll try to do that. I'll be in. And if I get in what the Lord has been working on quick. The scriptures to infiltrate every 
Christianity, it, it calls us to not only be doers of God's word. This all filthiness and all rampantness, all wicked word, which is able to save your not hearers only, deceiving your the word. And not a he is like a man who, for he looks at himself and goes away, and once he forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Bold Christianity not only hears the word of God, but it does the word of God. This is the separation for, for me when it comes to those who have been bought and redeemed and those who are faking. We've got a lot of people in the church today that is going to be really scary when they get to heaven and God says, depart from me, I never knew you. We all like this idea of eternal security, and we all like this idea of being in glory forever, streets of gold, coffee with loved ones, but most of us will not let Jesus be our God. Some, for some reason, we think we are better. For some reason, we think we're better equipped. We need to allow God to have complete control and submit to His authority. If you hear the word and perceive what it says and you do not do it, it says you're a fool. You're a fool. You, 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 can't, even, you can't even hear and do what God says. In fact, he calls that empty religion. Empty religion. You may have a name on your attendance card. You may claim to be a member of the church, but if you've never submitted to the Lord's authority, listen, I'm not here to, to make you doubt your salvation. I'm not here to make you question your salvation, but I will firmly say off the authority of Scripture, my friend, if, if you don't follow what the Lord has called you to and there's no submission to your life, then there's no Christ in your life. If you don't follow what the Lord has said, Christ isn't there. Christ isn't there. You cannot, cannot boldly walk with Christ and not do what he says. It's impossible. God's calling you to be a hearer and a doer. I think I may have told you this story. If, if I have, just look impressed again, okay? When I was a little boy, we used to go to Demopolis, Alabama every weekend to go deer hunting. And somewhere around Forkland, Alabama, off Highway 43... There's a farmer out there who has a pasture, and he creates art out of hay bales and old wore-out cars and stuff. And, and it's, it's actually some really cool stuff. You, he, get, he got pretty creative with some spray paint and some, some hay bales, right? So we, we've looked at it. I've looked at it for years, and, and, and he owns two pastures. And the second pasture, he has all the yard. And the third pasture, he's got three billboards, like handmade billboards, as a little boy, I would ride, and we would get to that same point every night on a Friday night, and we, we'd look up, and every, every Friday for years, I would look at this, and it would say, Actus non verbis. For years, I drove past that, not having a clue what that meant. I just thought I wasn't smart enough to realize the language. Like, I thought it was English, and I didn't know it. Like, I was just like, well, I'm not, if I'm not smart enough to know that, I'm not going to ask what it means. One day I finally asked my granddad, we're riding down that stretch of Highway 43, and I said, hey, what does that mean? What does actus non verbis mean? He said, well, it's Latin, and it means that you need to have action behind your words, that if you have words but no actions, they're in vain. He said, so your actions always speak louder than your words. Can I tell you today that if your faith is apart from action, 
then you don't have faith at all. Like if there's nothing in you that, that there's a part where you're going to start going and have intentionality about doing things for the kingdom, if you just speak the language of Christianese but you never have action to what the Lord has done, then there's no work of Christ in you. There's no saving power of Jesus in your soul. God doesn't need you to be some super verbalist of his word. He needs you to be a doer of his word. And it's not because our our actions will save us, because James is going to eventually get to the fact that you're not saved by works. But I will intend here that you are saved for works. That you're saved and God has intentionality about your salvation. God has equipped you for a certain purpose and it's not holding a pew down. It's changing your world for the gospel. It's changing your neighborhood for the kingdom of Jesus. It's changing your home for the glory of God. It's being intentional about sharing your faith. When you get to work tomorrow, you know people who need to hear the gospel. Don't sit at your desk and be quiet. God's called you to be bold. The same Jesus that rose from the dead has imparted the Holy Spirit into you so that you may live bold. So you don't, you don't cower down because you live in the day of political correctness where if you have views that someone else doesn't have, that may be offensive because let me tell you, hell is going to be offensive. You need to have a backbone about you because Christ has saved you. Christ has redeemed you and your words must reflect what your actions are and you must tell people and show people that you are redeemed. We must be doers as well as hearers, not just hearers only. David wrote in Psalm 1, he said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on that law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like chafe that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor righteousness in with the wicked for God knows for God knows God knows you God knows you God knows your intent God knows your motives God knows your heart you may be professing something today that God's not verifying if you're telling people hey I'm a Christian but God said no you're not then you're not if you're telling people, and, and we, we can know this. I, I look back at my salvation story. I know the day my life intersected with Jesus, I was there. It happened to me. I was there when Christ came in and called my heart his home. I was there. I wasn't just somebody who said, you know what, I'm going to be religious. I didn't know religion. I didn't know anything about religion. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know any of that. Christ intersected my life, and I've never been the same. I've never been the same. I'm not perfect, but I stand forgiven. Bold Christianity involves personal devotion and public morality. Bold Christianity involves personal devotion and public morality. He says if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. That person's religion is worthless. That person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father It is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from morality. You want to know how how you can look at your life and say, am I saved? You know how you can do that? 
how you can look at your spiritual temperature to see where you're at? Look at your tongue. Look at your tongue. Do you speak like someone who's been redeemed? Do you speak like someone who belongs to the Lord? I'm not talking about your Sunday jargon, because we all get super religious on Sunday. We go, for, we get in the parking lot, and I, love, I just love the story. That when we woke up, and the wife and I were in a fight, but so we got to we got to church and opened the door, and we went from yelling at each other to, "How art thou? Blessed be the day." We put on this facade like church is supposed to be this museum for the saints, when in all actuality it was designed to be a hospital for the broken. And so we, we look at our tongue, and if our tongue doesn't promote Christ, if our words don't exalt the name of Jesus, if our, if our life isn't about building people up, not tearing them down, then we have to look at, at what the authority of our life is. I think that a believer can get caught up in some dirty talk and gossip, but I think they can't stay there. As a blood-bought believer, when we start acting in ways that don't promote Christ, the Holy Spirit will correct us. The Holy Spirit will convict us and draw us back. We must look at our tongue. We must also look at our separation from the world. We must look at our separation from the world. When you think about your life, how separated are you from the world? Do you do the things that people of the world do? Do you go to the same places? Do you listen to the same music? And I'm not knocking your music. Don't send me an email about that. I don't care what you listen to as long as it, it's promotion and as long as it's good. But I do know this. It's been proven. Um, I don't listen to rap music for several reasons. Um, number one, it gives me a headache. But number two, um, rap music is often degrading to women, treats women as a sexual object, not a child of God. The language is typically just unbelievably rancid. And I, but there's some scientists who have done this research, and, and I have tested it on myself, and I validated it wholly. If you listen to that type, and it doesn't have to be rap. You might, he's talking about rap music, so I'm, I'm good. No, there's, there's country songs, too, that are just as rancid, all right? Everything from your dog to your wife to your girlfriend to the truck, and they all die, and they, it's just country music sad, right? If you infiltrate your life with horrible, sinful stuff, it's eventually going to come out. I used to tell our students all the time, the last 10 years of student ministry, I, I used this, and it kind of landed with them, so maybe it will with you. If you put trash into your head, eventually trash is going to come out of your head. If you allow TV shows into your life that don't promote your Christian morality, then eventually that's going to be okay. That's why most of the churches today, are, they look at homosexual lifestyles and go, nah, that ain't me. That ain't my house. That ain't sitting at my table, so I don't have to worry about it. So we don't oppose it. We don't stand on godliness. We don't stand on righteousness. You know why? Because most of us, are dealing with our own sexual immorality. So we don't feel like calling anyone else's out in fear that they may call ours out. From what we listen to, to what we watch, to how we respond. If you get angry and you go volatile, you let your anger take the best of you, you're not separated from the world. We've bought the lie that we can look like the world but belong to Jesus. 
James is going to tell us that if we don't have compassion, if we don't look at those people in need, orphans and widows, and we don't minister there, if we don't bridle our tongue, if we don't use what we have for the glory of Jesus, we're no more separated than any other pagan. In fact, we're running right along with them. The dangerous part of that is we're professing Christ. If the world doesn't see the bride of Christ separated from itself, they'll never see the need for Jesus in their own life. I'll say that again. Maybe the best thing I've said all morning. You may want to write this down. If the world doesn't see the bride of Christ separated from itself, it will have no need for Christ for means of salvation. Because it's no different than we are. Are you living bold today? Are you living bold for Christ? Is your heart and your affections, are they bent towards Jesus? Is your tongue and your compassion bent towards Jesus? Are you being faithful with what God has placed for you to do? Do you have action today? Is there something in you that that causes and stirs up in you to live out the gospel of Jesus? The church doesn't need any more pew sitters. We don't need any more pew sitters. We need gospel workers. We need disciple makers. We need people who look at the task before us. Because remember what Christ told of us. He says, the harvest is ready. The fields are white. He says, but the laborers, the laborers, those who will go, those who will take the gospel to the next generation, those who will devote themselves to teaching Sunday school, those who will devote themselves for ministry, those who will take the message of Christ unapologetically, boldly to the nations. He says, the laborers are few. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Are you laboring for the Lord? Are you living bold for the Lord? Or have you bought the pill that says you can be content and do nothing and somebody else will do it? What's God doing in your heart? Let's pray. Father, thank you for James chapter 1. And the call for us to be hearers and doers of the Word of God. Lord, I pray over everyone under the sound of my voice this morning. As they do inventory of their own heart and of their own life. Lord, I, I pray that if they look today and go, I'm not saved. I'm, I'm, I don't know what I've been doing. I've been, been flailing. I've been trying to do something, but not well. And, and I've, just, I've been lazy and I, I've allowed this contentment to come over me. Lord, that you will break the chains of that. Lord, that, that you will bring them to salvation or, or you will encourage them to, to repent of their laziness and that they will walk with you with intentionality and with the boldness that you've called us to. Father, may we be hearers and doers of your word. May our tongues be bridled, but may they speak highly and exalting the name of Christ. And may we have compassion for our world. Lord, we're going to give you this invitation and ask you to do whatever it is you're desiring to do. For those who need to come be saved, give them the boldness to do that. For those who want to join our church, allow them to come. For those who want to surrender to ministry or, or to come pray over things, may, may they come fully today. 
For it's in the name and power of Jesus that we pray.